The Bradford Exchange presents The Classic Radio Theater with your host, Carl Amari. Countdown for blast off. X minus one. Yes, it's Maxwell House Coffee Time, starring George Burns and Gracie Allen. Richard Diamond, private detective. The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. Suspense. It's time once again for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Dragnet. We offer you escape. Kraft presents the Great Gildersleeve. Yeah. I'm that man. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. Good evening, friends of the Inner Sanctum. The Jack Benny Program. Welcome, everyone, to episode 84 of the Classic Radio Theater. Each week, the Bradford Exchange and participating sponsors bring you three hours of the Classic Radio Theater, featuring programming from the golden age of radio. This time, we'll hear two half-hour mystery episodes of The Whistler from 1947. Stick around, we'll be right back. Eerie Whistling, picked up by the orchestra for a dramatic effect, was the signature tune for this CBS mystery anthology. Through a careless mistake or a twist of fate, nearly every killer, blackmailer, and criminal would ultimately be brought to justice by the show's conclusion. Always looming in the shadows was the Whistler, an omnipresent figure acting mostly as a guilty conscience. Having foreseen the fate of the protagonist, he nevertheless urged them on, strangely aware of what they were thinking. The Whistler's grim chortles concluded each story of those unfortunate enough to be caught in a dark web of their own making. The program had a long and successful run airing from 1942 until 1955. For a time, Gail Gordon, Marvin Miller, and Joseph Kearns supplied the voice of the Whistler, but Bill Foreman had the role the longest. Columbia Pictures produced a series of eight motion pictures based on the radio series from 1944 to 1948. A short-lived television series aired in 1954. Time now for the first of two mystery episodes of The Whistler. In this first one, a wealthy woman murders her blackmailer and sits on the jury for the trial of a woman falsely accused of the crime. Here's Beyond Reasonable Doubt, starring Betty Lou Gearson, on The Whistler from July 16, 1947. The Signal Oil Program, The Whistler. That whistle is your signal for the Signal Oil Program... The Whistler. I am the Whistler, and I know many things, for I walk by night. I know many strange tales hidden in the hearts of men and women who have stepped into the shadows. Yes, I know the nameless terrors of which they dare not speak. Yes, friends, it's time for the Signal Oil program, The Whistler. Rated by independent research, the most popular West Coast program in radio history. 
And Signal gasoline is tops, too. Tops in quality. It takes extra quality, you know, to give you extra mileage. And Signal is the famous go-farther gasoline. So look for the Signal circle sign in yellow and black that identifies friendly dealer-owned Signal service stations from Canada to Mexico. And now the Whistler's strange story. Beyond Reasonable Doubt. The cerise jacket on the mannequin in the window of the Berkshire shop was the thing that had brought Gina across the street to the south side of Kimberley Drive. It was an unusual thing for Gina to do, but the jacket was a stunning one, like everything handled by the Berkshire shops from coast to coast. And Gina had told herself that now after five years, it was high time she got rid of the strange subconscious dread that kept her away from the shiny black marble front of the most fashionable dress shop in Hillcrest. She examined the jacket and had almost decided to risk going inside to inquire about it when a man, a tall, dark-haired man with a white carnation in his lapel, hurried past her into the door. Her heart stopped cold for a moment and then began to pound. Her first impulse was to hurry on and never come back, but she stopped, not sure and then walked back cautiously to the glass door, looked through at his retreating back, the familiarity of his walk, the slope of his shoulders, and then... Gina! Gina, darling! Oh, hello, Isabel. Oh, how wonderful to find you here. Darling, you've got to help me pick out a dress. You've simply got to. I'm a desperate woman. I'm sorry, Isabel. I'm in a hurry and I can't... What's the matter, Gina? Here you are, one of the best-dressed women in Hillcrest, yet you avoid the Berkshire like the plague. Have you got something against them? I've just been too busy to worry much about clothes. Rubbish. Look at you now, like you stepped out of a bandbox. Black and white, and that lovely black and white bag to match. Where did you get it? Oh, uh, Stillman's this morning. It's a beautiful bag. How you managed to find these things. Well, in we go now. I can't stay long, really. It will only be a minute. You'll love this store, darling. You look around. I want to speak to the clerk at the glove counter for a moment. All right, Isabel. Well, how are you, Jenny? Well, oh. Haven't seen you in a long time. You, you startled me. I... Don't you remember me, Jenny? Jenny? That's right. Jenny Barton. I think you must have made a mistake. Oh, did I? I'm afraid so. <laughs> I'm very sorry. Clerk. Yes? You uh, you saw the woman I came in with, the lady in the blue crepe? Why, yes, ma'am. When she comes back, would you tell her I've gone home? Please, I don't feel well. Yes, Gina, you're not feeling well. And there's a good reason. The tall, thin-faced man with a white carnation. Handsome in a cruel sort of a way. You do remember him, don't you, Gina? Yes. After Seattle, there was no forgetting Floyd Durant. All afternoon, you keep telling yourself you brought it off. That Floyd would decide he made a mistake. That Jenny Barton of Seattle and Gina Crane of Hillcrest are two different people. Just an unpleasant incident, Gina. Not worth mentioning to anyone. Least of all to Clinton Crane, your husband. Well, Gina, did you have a pleasant day? Why, yes, Clinton, quite pleasant. I went shopping. Oh? Isabel and I, she was looking for a dress. Oh, uh, Gina, 
I wish you wouldn't see so much of Isabel. Oh, she's harmless, dear. And awfully stupid. I know it, Clinton, but somehow I couldn't help myself. You could tell her you're busy. Well, she wouldn't take no for an answer. Well, well, it's a cruel way to put it, I suppose, but you and I are going to have to be careful of the company we keep from now on. Why is that? The last committee meeting, my name came up for state senator. After that Brooks affair, they'll go over the next candidate with a fine-tooth comb. But after all, Isabel... I know, I know. Just keep it in mind, darling. Oh, by the way, this letter came for you this afternoon. Hmm? What is it? Oh, I'm not the prying type, dear. You know that. Funny, though, it was stuck under the door when I came home. Oh, thank you. Well, aren't you going to read it? Yes, of course. June 14th, my dear Mrs... Oh. You sit down slowly as you read it, trying to hold yourself steady. Clinton is watching you, Gina. You can't let him know, can't give him the slightest chance to guess what's in that letter. What makes the words fly off the paper and bury themselves in your brain like jagged pieces of shrapnel. My dear Mrs. Crane, apparently you don't remember me, Floyd Durant, but I remember you, Jenny. I remember you very well. I know when you'll read this, you, uh, you'll wish I was dead. Because of our strange association while I was store detective at the Berkshire shop in Seattle. I'm staying at a boarding house, 217 Pine Street, third floor rear. If you'd like to, uh, talk over old times. Drop around tonight at nine o'clock and uh, bring your checkbook with you. That is, unless you'd like me to have my conversation with someone else. Your husband, for example, or the police. What? What's the matter, dear? Bad news? No. Well, no, it's nothing important. Just, just a note from my dressmaker. Oh? Remember, I told you I was getting a new suit. Nothing important. With the prologue of Beyond Reasonable Doubt, the Signal Oil Company is bringing you another strange story by The Whistler. But now I want to tell you about a product that's so fine, 97% of the persons now using it say they will be back for more. I'm talking about Lee Tires, featured by signal service stations throughout the West from Canada to Mexico. And no wonder drivers like Lee Tires. For 45 years, Lee of Conshohocken has made only the finest of first-line tires. And today's Lees, with their patented double-life rayon cord construction, are 25% better than pre-war. Safer, easier riding, longer wearing. What's more, your signal dealer can arrange easy credit terms on new Lee Tires. And he'll give you a generous trade-in on your old tires. So why keep on taking chances on those smooth, tired-out old tires that can cause serious accidents and spoil your driving fun? Stop by your signal service station and have your signal dealer look over your present tires. You'll be surprised how little it will cost to drive out on fine new Lee tires. And now, back to the Whistler. So that's it, Gina. Five years are pushed aside and you're back where you started. 
Floyd Durant has found you at last. And the whole ugly mess you left behind in Seattle is right here on your doorstep. You know Floyd very well, don't you, Gina? You know he'll keep your secret. You know you can trust him. If you pay him as long as you live. Luckily, Clinton, your husband, is due tonight at a political meeting. And shortly after he leaves, you pull your car out of the garage. The letter with Floyd's address on it tucked safely away in your black and white bag. 217 Pine Street, third floor rear. A half hour later, you're walking down the long, dark hallway toward his room. But as you raise your hand to knock, something I don't care. stops you. I can't stand it, Floyd. I tell you, I don't care. Nothing matters now. You can do as you please, but don't come running back to me. I'm all through. Oh. Oh. Excuse me. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to push you. Certainly. Hello, Jenny. Come in. I've been expecting you. I've come to tell you I can't possibly... Uh, 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 no such word as can't. Uh, your friend seemed a little upset. Mm, temperament. Barbara's a very unstable girl. Not like you, Jenny. You always took everything in stride. Like a drink? No, thanks. Oh, well, I'll go ahead then. You know, I felt like shouting Eureka when I saw you at the Berkshire today. It's been a long search. Let's get it over, Floyd. How much do you want? Well... Let's figure how much I would have had if you'd played square with me, huh? Let's see, I let you steal those clothes in the Seattle store. You would have picked up a rich guy. Never mind that. I asked you how much. Depends on your resources. You've got to give me some time. I can't raise the money overnight. Oh, now, Jenny, let's not be that way. Your husband's a wealthy man coming along in politics. I, I think I can get you a thousand. Never do to have his wife exposed as a thief. Worth a lot to a man like that to keep his... I said I could raise a thousand. Is that enough? No. How about ten? Well, I couldn't possibly. Clinton gives me a weekly allowance. He balances my bank statement. Listen, Jenny, I covered for you. It wasn't easy. I played it stupid. But not anymore. No cheap little shop girl's going to play me for a sucker twice. You're in as much as I am. You're just as crazy. <laughs> now, careful, Jenny. You talk pretty big for a thief. I won't let you ruin my life, Floyd. I won't let you do no? it. I'll stop you. I swear I'll stop you. There's only one way you can stop me, Jenny. I just told you how. Think it over for a minute, huh? He walks out of the room for a moment, and you slump back in a chair, sure that he means what he says. That Seattle is caught up with Hillcrest, and there's no way out. Then, only a split second before he comes back, your eye strikes something on the table next to your chair. A long, bright, sharp pair of scissors. You reach out, grab them. Hold them under your bag as you rise. Now, oh, let's get down to cases, Jenny. It's not whether you're going to raise that dough anymore. It's how. Floyd, I want to be very sure about this. You know what you'll be doing to me. What? You know there's no possible way I could raise... I just told you. All right, Floyd, I'm just making sure. Okay. Okay. Well... Oh, would you pick up my bag, please? <laughs> I thought you'd bring it with you. Sure, baby, sure. All right. Oh, I don't think... 
you decided. It's only after it's over, when you're back in your car, that you realize you still have a chance. That you are lucky enough to be wearing gloves. That when Floyd Durant is discovered with those scissors in his back, there'll be no way to connect it with wealthy, gracious Gina Crane. There's no sleep for you tonight, of course. And by morning, your mind is dull, your eyes heavy as you sit across the table from Clinton at breakfast, looking at the back of his paper. Uh, more coffee, dear? No, thanks. Well, another murder last night. What? Yes, but for once, thank heaven, the police are on their toes. You mean they... they know who did it? Yes, a woman. Could I see it, Clinton? Yes, here, read it. Store detective from one of the downtown shops was stabbed with a pair of scissors. It was bound to have been a woman. They... They haven't decided who it was. Uh, her name's there, Barbara something or other. She followed him down from Seattle. Uh, there it is, Barbara Arnold. They've arrested her? This morning. Oh. What's the matter? Oh, nothing. I just, just hate to hear about these things, Clinton. So much crime. There'll be less of it when I get elected to office. And, by the way, I'd better be getting to my office right now. Things are beginning to hum down there with nominations Clinton, coming up. <laughs> Darling, you, you know the Parkers are up at Yosemite? Yes. Well, they want me to join them for a few weeks. Now, Gina, you know that's out of the question. I'm tied up with the committee right I'm, now, and I... Couldn't I run up alone? Would you like to? Would you mind? Well, I, I suppose not. When do you want to go? Right away, Clinton. Today. You had to get away, didn't you, Gina? Even if it's only for a few weeks. It gives you time to sit back, collect your thoughts, and then try to forget all about Floyd Durant and Barbara Arnold and murder. Somehow, by the time you return from Yosemite, you've almost managed to forget. At least your mind is made up that no matter what happens to the girl they've arrested, you're not going to interfere. Most important of all, Clinton must never know. I'd have appreciated your coming back last Friday, Gina. I wired you to return there. Oh, I'm sorry, darling, but I was meeting so many important people and having such a marvelous time. I didn't think a few days would make any difference. Well, fortunately, they haven't. You won't be needed until tomorrow. Tomorrow? For what? Jury duty, dear. You've been selected as a prospective juror in the Arnold trial. What? I'm sure they'll accept you. Clinton, I... I... Yes? Clinton, I can't serve on that jury. Can't serve? What are you talking about, Gina? You'll be ideal for them. Why, well, you've scarcely even read about the trial. No prejudice, an open mind. I'm sorry, Clinton, I won't serve. Huh? Well, now, see here, Gina. I'm sorry to disagree with you. I've given you your way many times, but this is one thing on which I've made up my mind. I want you to do everything in your power to get on that jury. But, Clinton, I... The committee notified me while you were away. I'm going to be nominated for state senator. Now, the campaign won't be easy. We can't have anyone saying that my wife refused the simple obligation of jury duty. Clinton, you don't understand. Of course I don't understand. Is there any reason, Gina, any reason in the world why you shouldn't be on that jury? No, Clinton, there isn't. Well, that's better. Now, we'll go down together. Yes, Clinton. Oh, and by the way, none of that Hattie Carnegie stuff you wear. Wear something simple. Your black and white outfit, perhaps. Yes, of course, dear. But I'll be ready in the morning. (laughs) 
You never expected anything like this, did you, Gina? All night and the next morning, driving down to the courthouse with Clinton, your mind is struggling for a way out. But there doesn't seem to be one. All you can do is pray that Barbara Arnold, the girl you ran into outside Floyd's room, will fail to recognize you. As the attorneys question each candidate for jury duty, you're trembling inside, telling yourself over and over that it was dark in that hall, that Barbara had been crying, that you scarcely spoke, that she wouldn't know now in this courtroom. And uh, now you're sure, Mrs. Crane, that you can approach this trial with an open mind, that you haven't reached any decision on the basis of what you've heard or read in the newspapers? I'm sure. And you would have to be convinced beyond all reasonable doubt that the defendant, Barbara Arnold, my client, is guilty before you would vote for conviction? I would. Thank you, Mrs. Crane. That's all. Thank you. Uh, just one moment, Mrs. Crane. Hmm? Just one more question. Yes? Are you certain that you never met the defendant before? Yes. Positive. I see. For a moment, Miss Arnold thought you looked familiar. She must be mistaken. She is quite mistaken. All right. The defense accepts the jury, Your Honor. Well, Gina, you're on the jury. Sitting in judgment as the state tries Barbara Arnold for the murder you committed. And you've been lucky, haven't you, Gina? Very lucky. No suspicions, nothing to implicate you in any way. prosecution will prove beyond reasonable doubt that this girl, Barbara Arnold, sitting here in front of you, weeping, as her attorney has carefully instructed her, did with malice aforethought and hatred in her heart, murder Floyd Durant. Are you positive, Mr. Jackson? that the defendant is the person you heard threaten Mr. Durant on the evening of June 14th? Well, I can't be sure of the voice, but I did hear him quarreling, and he called her Barbara. Oh? He called her Barbara? Yes, sir. I heard that all right. And what time was this quarrel? Oh, about 8.30, I guess. My wife and I were going out to the movies, and we heard the girl sobbing and yelling. And what were the words she used, Mr. Jackson, as near as you can remember? Well, she said... I'm going to get even, Floyd. I don't care what happens. Thank you. But I didn't mean that I was going to kill him. I didn't mean that. Order! Order! So, Miss Arnold, after your bitter quarrel with the deceased, you turned and ran out of the room. Yes, sir. Was that before or after you stabbed him with the scissors? I didn't stab him. I didn't. Then how do you explain your fingerprints on the shears? I... I must have picked them up to touch them while I was in Floyd's room. I was very upset I wouldn't remember. You'd have to believe that. You're asking us to believe a great deal, Miss Arnold. A mysterious woman outside in the hall. Someone you can't identify. I don't so... care. I didn't kill Floyd. I didn't. No matter what you say, I didn't kill him. That is for the jury to decide, Miss Arnold. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the attorney for the defense insists that you must find this girl, Barbara Arnold, this murderess, innocent, as long as you hold any doubts as to her guilt. 
Well, for once, I agree with him. But there is no doubt. She quarreled with Durant. She admits that. She threatened him. She admits that. The only thing that she does not admit is that she killed him. She doesn't have to admit that. Her fingerprints are on the weapon. There you are, ladies and gentlemen. Motive, opportunity, and evidence. Yes, Tina. Motive, opportunity, evidence. And as the trial moves into its last day, you're feeling more confident than ever. You're thankful that the jury isn't to be locked up, that you're free to return home now, get a full night's rest before tomorrow's deliberation. And you're more exhausted than you realize, Gina. You oversleep the next morning, have to dress hurriedly, slip into the black and white crepe outfit, grab up your black and white bag to match as you run out the door to the waiting taxi. And there's another ironic thing, Gina. Fifteen minutes after the jury retires, you find yourself elected foreman. Yes, sitting there in the black and white dress, the same outfit right down to the handbag that you wore on the night you killed Floyd Durant, foreman of the jury that should be trying you. Five, six, seven, eight... We stand eight for conviction, four for acquittal. We uh, will have to talk it out further. Yes, Gina, you have to talk it out further until the other 11 members of the jury join you in a unanimous vote for guilty. But, Mrs. Crane, I still don't see why... If it was premeditated, she would use a scissors. I should it's a think... woman's weapon. I thought of that, too, Mrs. Adamson. Hey, you don't believe, then, that there's anything to her claim about a mystery woman? None at all. I think that's the weakest argument they presented. I agree with Mrs. Crane. That's just a trick. Right. They're not giving us credit for good sense. All right, ladies, I agree with you. I'll change my vote. Very good, Mr. Knowles. Then uh, we're all agreed? Yes, yes. Yes, yes. Here, Mrs. Crane, write it down. Write down our verdict. We, the jury, sworn upon our oath and after careful deliberation, find the defendant, Barbara Arnold, guilty of murder in the first degree. Whistler will return in just a moment with the strange ending to tonight's story. Meantime, since you're going to be passing a lot of signal service stations during your summer driving, I thought you'd like to know a little more about the organization that brings you the Whistler and the policies it stands for. First of all, signal products have always been sold only through dealer-owned stations. The reason? Signal believes that a man who has his own money invested in his own business naturally has more incentive to serve you better. Secondly, because you want top quality products for your car, every Signal service station is backed by an organization that serves almost 2,000 Signal dealers with resources to bring you all the latest advances in petroleum science. 
Do drivers like this combination of personal service at dealer-owned signal stations plus fine quality signal products? Well, just consider the facts. From a mere handful of dealers in Southern California, signal has grown and grown. Until today, signal stations serve six Western states from Canada to Mexico. For extra driving pleasure, extra performance from your car, why don't you join the switch to signal, the famous go-farther gasoline? And now, back to the whistler. Well, Gina, you put it over. The incident in Seattle with the late Floyd Durant is closed for good. Yes? Barbara Arnold is about to be condemned for Floyd's murder. Clinton will never know the truth now, will he, Gina? All he'll have is praise for the way you conducted yourself in serving as foreman of the jury. The jury that should have been trying you. As you file back into the courtroom with the other 11 members, you're trembling a little. But not with fear this time, Gina. No. It's because you're thrilled, excited... Because everyone in the room is looking at you, waiting for the verdict. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, have you reached a verdict? We have, Your Honor. We find the defendant... No, uh, Mrs. Crane. As jury foreman, you will please hand the verdict to the clerk. He will read it. Oh, yes, of course. I had the envelope right here. I must have dropped it. You put it in your purse, Mrs. Crane. I watched you. Oh, yes, thank you. <laughs> Sorry. I, I don't seem to find it. We, we women keep so many things in our pocketbooks. <laughs> uh, but wait a moment. Here it is. Oh, very well, Mrs. Crane. Hand the envelope to the clerk. Yes, Your Honor. Thank you, Mrs. Crane. Clerk will read the verdict. But, but, Your Honor, this... Clerk will read the verdict. But... Will you please read that paper? Yes, Your Honor. June 14th. My dear Mrs. Crane, apparently you don't remember me, Floyd Durant. But I remember you, Jenny. I remember you very well. I know when you read this, you'll wish I was dead. Let that whistle be your signal for the Signal Oil program, The Whistler, each Wednesday at this same time. Brought to you by the Signal Oil Company, marketers of Signal gasoline and motor oil and fine quality automotive accessories. Signal has asked me to remind you to get the most driving pleasure, drive at sensible speeds, be courteous, and obey traffic regulations. It may save a life, possibly your own. Featured in tonight's story was Betty Lou Gerson. The Whistler was produced by George W. Allen, with story by Robert Libet and Frank Burt, music by Wilbur Hatch, and was transmitted to our troops overseas by the Armed Forces Radio Service. This is Marvin Miller speaking. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
And that's The Whistler, with Beyond Reasonable Doubt, starring Betty Lou Gerson, from July 16, 1947. Also in the cast, Gerald Moore, with Marvin Miller announcing for Signal Oil, is heard over CBS. All of the classic radio shows we present on this series are direct from the master recordings. I have more than 100,000 original radio episodes under license from the owners and estates, and we make them available via digital download or on CD through our Classic Radio Club. By joining the Classic Radio Club, you'll receive 10 superior-sounding classic radio shows sent directly to you each month, along with detailed liner notes and photos of the stars. You'll receive your first 10 classic radio episodes for only $1, and you can cancel at any time. To learn more about the Classic Radio Club, log on to ClassicRadioClub.com. That's ClassicRadioClub.com. I'll have another mystery episode of The Whistler after this short break. Welcome back to the Classic Radio Theater. I'm your host, Carl Amari. This time, $30,000 is stolen, and a Hindu fortune teller cannot foresee his own murder. Here's Dark Future, starring Frank Lovejoy on The Whistler from August 6, 1947. The Signal Oil Program, The Whistler. That whistle is your signal for the Signal Oil Program, The Whistler. I know many things, for I walk by night. I know many strange tales, hidden in the hearts of men and women who have stepped into the shadows. Yes, I know the nameless terrors of which they dare not speak. Yes, friends, it's time for the Signal Oil program, The Whistler. Rated by independent research, the most popular West Coast program in radio history. And Signal Gasoline is tops, too. Tops in quality. It takes extra quality, you know, to give you extra mileage. And Signal is the famous go-farther gasoline. So look for the Signal Circle sign in yellow and black that identifies friendly dealer-owned Signal service stations from Canada to Mexico. And now the Whistler's strange story. Dark Future. The feeling of foreboding Hal Parker had felt when he'd entered the fortune teller's tent was stronger than ever when he left. And as he shouldered his way down the tanbark lane between the carnival concessions, he tried to put his finger on it. After all, he was in the clear, comfortable and sure of himself in one of the new suits he purchased. And there was still well over $29,000 in new bills back in his hotel room. 29 out of the 30,000 he'd uh, withdrawn from the Midland Bank. 
So it was ridiculous to feel this way. Crazy to imagine he saw something strange and accusing in the dark eyes of Jaru, the Hindu fortune teller. But as he walked up to Millie at the orange aid stand, the nervous, depressed feeling was still there. Well, what's the matter with you? Nothing, why? You look like some bad man stole all your marble. How about some orange aid? Extra special tonight. We're using orange. <laughs> okay. So you want a Cupid doll? Yeah, it cost me five bucks. You want it? Mm, thanks. Here you are. One dime. Okay. Oh, gosh, you seem to be out of change. Uh, can you break a ten? Yeah, I guess so. The carnival keeps us in change. They have to. The customers sure don't. Fifty, one, two, three, four, five, and ten. Millie. Yeah? About our date tonight. Would it be all right to make it tomorrow night instead? Oh, I thought you had something on your mind. It's a, a business appointment. I'm sorry to do it. Oh, but... don't mind me, Angel. I'll make out. Veron and I will go to our room together and she can tell my fortune. Ought to be an exciting evening. Of course, you couldn't tell her what made it so important, could you, Hal? That when Jaru, the crystal gazer, suggested you see him after closing time, there was a look in his eyes, something in his deep, quiet voice that cut through the gloom of his tent like one of the oriental daggers hanging on the wall. The lights of the carnival concessions are winking out one by one when you walk up to the entrance to find Jaru waiting. Salam, Sahib Parker. I am grateful you have decided to honor me once more. You, uh, you said you had something more to tell me. Yes. Here is the inner chamber. You will sit on the chair, please. What is it, Jaru? Perhaps it is not important. But then that is for the crystal to tell. Go on. As you wish, Sahib. When you were here before, I tell you many things. I see in the crystal a house of money. Is that so important? Patience, Sahib. Also, crystal gave me a name of bank. A name like Midland Bank, yes? The crystal? Why don't you be honest, Jaru? I mentioned it to Millie Olmstead. She told her roommate, Marana. Marana told you. So let's forget the hocus-pocus about the crystal, shall we? Your manner has changed since you were here before, Sahib. But we will go on. I see now in crystal the face of another man who worked in same bank. I see also a name like, how you say, Macy. John Macy? What about him? He is being punished for stealing much money, $30,000. Yeah. That was in the paper six months ago, so what? You spend much money, Sahib. Too much for man who work for other men. That is funny thing, yes? Is that all you have to tell me? For the present. But Jaru is hopeful you will be interested in further readings. The crystal never rests. Are you asking me to come back? Tomorrow night, at this hour? Sorry, Jaru, I'm afraid I... You get... will be here tomorrow night, Sahib? I see. Uh, what do I owe you for the reading? Mm, nothing, Sahib. This is... How you say? On the house? You manage to appear calm as you leave the tent. 
hoping somehow that Jaru doesn't realize how close he is to the truth. It's unbelievable, Hal, that now, six months after you told yourself it was all over, six months after you watched John Macy go to prison for the money you embezzled, this man can smile across the table and tell you things that no one, even at the height of Macy's trial, even suspected. Almost as if Jaru actually saw it in the crystal ball. The next afternoon at the bank, Mr. Wilsey, the manager, called you into his office. And you find there's a more concrete basis for Jaru's revelation. Yes, Mr. Wilsey. Oh, oh, Hal, uh, this is Inspector Dale. How do you do? Inspector? And uh, Mrs. John Macy. Mrs. Macy? Oh, oh, uh... Oh, yes. How do you do? My husband, John, he told me a great deal about you, Mr. Parker. Yes, we, uh, we were good friends. I know. That's why I suggested to Mr. Wilsey that you'd be the best one to help us. Oh? Inspector Dale here has run on to something, Hal. I want you to take this list of serial numbers, have it mimeographed, and distribute it to all the tellers. Yes, sir. Now, you don't have to tell them why, but, uh, all currencies to be checked against the list immediately. And if any bills are taken in carrying those numbers, I'm to be notified right away. Of course. Uh, uh, Mr. Wilsey, I, I don't mean to be inquisitive, but... Uh... Oh, I'm sorry, Hal. We didn't intend hiding anything from you. Uh, these serial numbers were taken from some of the stolen bills. The first we've been able to locate. Don't you see, Mr. Parker? If we can find out who turned them in or, or trace them back to him some way, John will be cleared. Well, I, uh, I hope so, uh, Mrs. Macy, especially for your sake. But I, uh... Well, frankly, I went over your husband's records myself at the time. And the evidence was so conclusive. The records were doctored. Someone else right here at the bank now, must have... Now, now, Mrs. Macy, please. We're all trying to help. The inspector here is working hard in the case, and Hal and I will do everything we can to help. Won't we, Hal? Yes, yes, I will personally take care of everything, Mrs. Macy. We'll do everything we can. <laughs> the prologue of Dark Future, the Signal Oil Company is bringing you another strange story by The Whistler. But now here's some hot weather mathematics for drivers. Take the temperature of the day, add 2,800 degrees, the temperature inside the cylinder head of the average motor. That adds up to a lot of heat. Good reason why the cooling system of your car has to be in top condition for summer driving. If yours hasn't been checked recently, why not drop by your signal dealers for an inspection? Perhaps your radiator has become choked with sludge and rust. If so, signal stations have special radiator cleaning compound to restore cooling efficiency. To stop small leaks, signal dealers have radiator sealer. And even new cars should add rust preventive to the radiator to guard against future corrosion. Also, signal dealers have finest quality fan belts and radiator hoses and we'll install them while you wait. You see, signal stations are much more than places to fill up with Signal's famous go-farther gasoline and Signal premium motor oil. Wherever you see Signal's circle sign in yellow and black, there you'll also find complete Signal service and fine quality accessories to help your car run better, look better, and last longer. And now, back to the whistler.
Yes, Hal. There was a better explanation for Jaru's vision in the crystal ball, wasn't there? A more concrete one involving the discovery of several of the bills you passed in a nearby town when you bought those clothes. And a small item in the newspaper Jaru must have seen before he called you in for the uh, private reading. Yes, Hal, you were careful. And you're still pretty sure that the bills you spent in other cities cannot be traced back to you. You leave the corridor outside Mr. Wilsey's office, walk back towards your teller's cage, and then with your hand on the door, it hits you. The bill, Hal. That $10 bill you gave to Millie last night. The only stolen bill directly traceable to you. Miss Connor. Yes, Mr. Parker? If anyone asks for me, tell them I'll be back in a few minutes. Get Reeves to take over. The carnival is just beginning to come to life, making preparations for opening when you arrive 15 minutes later and run up to the orangeade stand. Millie! Hal, what are you doing here in the daytime? Millie, will you do me a favor? Huh? Uh, you remember the orangeade I brought here last night? Yeah. Uh, I paid it... Paid for it with a $10 bill? Oh, broke, huh? Well, it serves no, you no, right... No, 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 listen, I've got to have it back, that bill. I'll give you singles for it. But I don't carry cash around with me. What did you do with it? Think, Millie, what did you do with all it? All right, all right, I'm trying. See, that 10. Oh, I know, I, I gave it to Marana. Marana, your roommate, you gave it to her. Well, what's so terrible about that? She had a lot of change and she wanted to change it for a 10. Why? How should I know? Why not ask her? Here she is now. Marana... You want to speak with me, Mem Saeed? Yes, Marana. Remember that ten spot I gave you last night? Ten spot? The ten dollar bill. Oh. Oh, yes. Have you got it with you? No, Saeed. Where is it? I give it to Jaru, Saeed. Jaru? He asked me for it, Saeed. Is it something wrong? I, uh... No, 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 no. It's, it's, it's nothing. I'll ask Jaru himself about it. Uh, if I see him tonight. Well, Sahib, you have honored me for third time. I'm grateful. You asked me to come back. Suppose we don't waste time on this Hindu magic. What do you got to tell me? I will not, as you say, waste time. It is my business to read future in crystal, but... Yeah. But in your case, Sahib, I find future is not clear. You see, trouble is not child of future. She is child of past. And Crystal shows past very clearly. I see. Much more clear than last night, Sahib. I see last night man taking money. Perhaps man was Macy. Perhaps man was you, Sahib. Now it is clear. Man was you. You might be making a bad guess, Jaru. No, Sahib. Jaru only tells what he sees. Is that uh, all you have to tell me? Perhaps. I think, Sahib, police will have more faith in Crystal than you. Sorry, I'm not playing. Uh, is this, uh, this reading on the house, too? No, Sahib. There is a charge. How much? $15,000. You must be crazy. For such money, Crystal will show brighter future for you. I don't know what they call this in India, but it's blackmail here. Over here, you got to have more to go on than a crystal ball, Sahib. I have more than crystal balls, Sahib. Oh? I have $10 bill. 
In late paper tonight, you will find list of numbers. The police are seeking further clues, Sahib. Perhaps this will... All right, wait a minute, wait a minute. All right. All right, you win. When do you want the money? Perhaps at an early hour tomorrow. I'll have it here tomorrow night. What about 7 o'clock? That would be a quiet time. We could be alone. Is this the end of it now? How do I know you won't be back at me again? You know that? Because you trust me. Yes, Sahib. In the crystal I see after tomorrow night, for you there is bright future. You haven't much choice, have you, Hal? Jaru knows as surely as if he actually could look into the past. And that means you must pay him $15,000 to buy his silence. It's on your mind the next day at the bank. You're nervous, jittery, almost unable to do your work. But somehow you get through the day. And that night at 7, you arrive at Jaru's tent as agreed. The evening rush has not yet started and the carnival grounds are almost deserted. You have the money under your arm and a cardboard shoebox as you slip into the tent and Jaru rises to greet you. Salam, Sahib. For the fourth time, you have honored Jaru. Yes, Jaru. For the fourth and last time. Yes, the last time, if everything is as agreed. The money is here in the box, $15,000. I hope you never live to spend a penny of it. You should not hate Jaru. He has been, how you say, very reasonable... You stole $30,000, Sahib. Yeah, here you are. 15000 in new bills. Count them. I want to be sure you get every last dollar. New bills? But no, Sahib. These are the same bills you embezzled. Naturally. But I, I cannot accept this. What? I cannot be in possession of stolen money, Sahib. I could never spend it. No, Sahib. This will not do. Well, it'll have to do. I can't pay any other way. I'm afraid you must find another way, Sahib. How? Where can I get $15,000 in different bills? In the bank. Where you work, you can make, how you say, an exchange. What do you take me for? That'll be a dead giveaway in my finish. No, that's out. It is the only way, unless you desire to go to prison. Oh. Oh, if I don't do as you say, you'll go to the police. You leave me no choice, Sahib. You've gone too far, Jaru. I'm caught either way. You give me no choice. Sahib, no. Put down that knife. It's convenient to you to have these daggers hanging around your tent, Jaru. Perfect for what I have to do. Stop. You are insane. Get away. Oh, Jaru, you saw too much in that crystal ball. Much too much. No, I... You've done it, Hal. Added murder to theft. And you stand there trying to collect your senses. You gaze around vacantly... Then wipe your fingerprints from the knife, put it back in its scabbard, and all the while your mind gropes for a way out of this, a means of escape. Suddenly you remember your date with Millie. You were to pick her up at 7.30, drive her to the carnival ground. You look at your watch, your mind forming an idea. You stoop down, take the incriminating $10 bill from Jaru's pocket, toss it into the shoebox with the new bills Jaru refused. As you slip outside and walk to your car, you know exactly what you must do. And speeding toward Millie's apartment, you pray that you can get away with it. At 7.30, you stop the car a block away from Millie's apartment and hurry into a drugstore phone booth. This is the important step, Hal, the move that will count the most. Hello? Hello? 
I wish to please talk with Mim Sahib, Mirana. Mirana? Oh, sure, just a minute. Mirana is for you. I think Jaru. For me? Thank you. Hello? This is Mirana. Salam, Mim Sahib, Mirana. This is Jaru. Jaru? Yes, Mim Sahib. I'm calling from uh, what you call drugstore. The one near the carnival. Yes. I have appointment with Sahib Parker for crystal reading at 7 o'clock. Oh? It is now half past the hour. Have you seen him, Rana? No, Sahib. But he is to be here soon. Then Sahib Parker did not intend to keep appointment. Jaro does not like it. Shall I say you call? It is of no matter. Goodbye, Mum Sahib. You smile as you hang up, don't you, Hal? Because the trick, your imitation of the dead Jaru, seemed to work perfectly. And you've established the fact that Jaru was alive at 7.30. It could be impossible for you to have killed him and then called for Millie far across town only a few minutes later. You hurry to your car, drive the one block to Millie's apartment. Your hand trembles as you knock on the door. If Millie and Moran are convinced that it was Jaru they spoke to, you've nothing to worry about. Oh, come in, Hal. I'm almost ready. Ah. I'll be with you in a moment. Oh, you coming along, Marana? No, I have called for taxi cab. What for? There's plenty of room in the car for three. Oh, no, Saib. You have proverb here. Two is company, three is crowd. Marana, take taxi. It will be here soon. Marana's peeved at you, Hal. Oh? What is it? What have I done? Tell him, Marana. To me, Saib, you have done nothing. To Jaru, you have failed to keep appointment. He's angry. Oh, oh, I'm sorry about that. I forgot, and then I had something to do at my apartment, and before I knew it, it was past seven. I barely had time to make it here. Jaru phoned Marana a few minutes ago. He said you didn't intend to keep the appointment. Oh, well, I'll, I'll apologize when I see him. I will leave you now. Taxi would be waiting. Okay, Marana. See you in about half an hour. <laughs> You know, Millie, they're funny people. Marana and Jaru. Uh, I wouldn't worry about them. You said you were sorry. Yeah. What have you told Marana about me? Oh, just that you work at the Midland Bank. She didn't know what to tell her was. I had to draw a picture. Put you in a cage. <laughs> How well do you know Marana? Oh, just since the carnival came here. I got the soft drink concession by offering to share my apartment with Marana. Sort of a bribe, but with rooms as scarce as they are. Yeah. Uh, what kind of a girl is she? Mm, hard to tell. Doesn't say much. Sensitive about her accent, I guess. Anyway, she goes her way and I go mine. Oh, here we are. Yeah, eight o'clock on the dot. Hal, Hal, look over there. What's wrong? Huh? By Giroux's tent. There's a crowd gathered. Business can't be that good. I wonder... Hey, come on, let's get over there. <laughs> Thank you. Come on, Hal, inside. Right with you, Millie. Well, hello. What is it? What's happened? You're Millie, eh? Millie Olmstead, that's right. And you're, uh, Parker? Yeah, why? What's it all about? I'm Lieutenant Adams. Adams, homicide. There's been a murder. Murder? Not Giroux. Yeah, that's his name. He was stabbed with one of these oriental daggers. Happened sometime within the past hour, as far as we can tell right now. 
I understand you people knew him pretty well. Who told you that? I never knew him before the carnival got here. I know. Your roommate, that Mirana, told us about you. How about you, Parker? Oh, I didn't know him very well either. He gave me a couple of readings, that's all. Uh-huh. As a matter of fact, I had an appointment with him tonight at 7. I didn't keep it. No? Can you prove that? Of course he can. Call for me at 7.30. He wouldn't have had time for a reading and then drive all the way to my place. Yeah, and Ja Rule was alive at 7.30, Lieutenant. How do you know that? Well, when I got to Millie's, he just phoned. Millie spoke to him. So did Marana. I see. Well, that leaves us exactly nowhere. And I'm afraid we won't find the answer to Ja Rule's murder in a crystal ball. Whistler will return in just a moment with a strange ending to tonight's story. Meantime, since most of us do a lot more driving during this warm summer weather, I'd like to say a word about an item that has a lot to do with your driving pleasure. Gasoline. Wherever you travel on the Pacific coast, from Canada to Mexico, you'll find Signal, the famous go-farther gasoline. Almost 2,000 friendly dealer-owned Signal stations stand ready to serve you and honor your Signal credit card. And remember, when you power your car with Signal, you not only enjoy Signal's famous mileage, but also the thing which makes that mileage possible, extra engine efficiency. And, of course, extra engine efficiency means more thrilling performance from your car. That's why Signal says, to be sure of the tops in gasoline quality, there are just two points to remember. One, in gasoline, it takes extra quality to go farther. And two, Signal is the famous go-farther gasoline. And now back to the Whistler. It's almost over, isn't it, Hal? The terrible nightmare you've been going through since the first time you talked to Jaru. Discovered that he knew of your embezzlement at the Midland Bank. That he would turn you over to the police unless you gave him $15,000. A little more than an hour ago, you were here in the tent with Jaru. But Lieutenant Adams doesn't know that. And you're certain that he never will know, aren't you, Hal? Because your imitation of Jaru's voice in a phone call to Millie and Marana brought the dead crystal gazer to life, placed the time of his murder a half hour later than when you actually killed him. And that half hour gave you time to get back across town to pick up Millie. And so you've won, Hal. The lieutenant has eliminated you as a suspect. You stand by calmly, watching as he continues his routine check. The lieutenant leaves and you talk quietly with Millie. Then the lieutenant returns with Marana. Oh, glad you waited, Parker. I have a few more questions, if you don't mind. Oh, not at all. I'll do whatever I can to help. Now, on this appointment you had with Giroux, why didn't you keep it? Well, I was late. I had to be at Millie's by 7.30. Uh-huh. He was there right on time, Lieutenant. At 7.30 sharp, huh? Just before Giroux was murdered. That's right. Like I said, Giroux called Millie and Marana here. He was talking to them practically as I arrived. Isn't that so, Marana? It would seem to be so, Sahib. What do you mean, seem? 
You were annoyed at me because of what Ja Rule said. You wouldn't even ride down here with us. Mirana was more than annoyed, Parker. She was puzzled. After that call, she wanted time to think, figure things out for herself. That is right, Saeed. I have to know why this was done. Why what was done? What are you saying, Marana? You talked to Ja Rue, didn't you? No, Saeed. I talked to you. What? Me? I don't talk like Ja Rue. You did on the telephone, Parker. What was it he said, Marana? He say, like Ja Rue always talk, Salam, Mem Saeed, Marana. I am calling from what you call drugstore. But, but Hal doesn't talk like that. What are you telling us, Marana? Yes, that's ridiculous. Couldn't have been anyone else but Ja Rue. You better explain, Marana. All these people, Saeed... You will make them step back. Sure. Jim. Yeah? Move the crowd back, will you? Get okay, them away from here. Come on. I don't know what this is all about. What Ja Rule said, that's exactly how he talks, isn't it, Marana? Sure, to the general public. But not to me, you dope. All this lingo's been an act with us. He'd never talk like that to me. His name wasn't Ja Rule. It's Joe Thompson, and he was my uncle. That whistle be your signal for the signal oil program, The Whistler, each Wednesday at the same time. Brought to you by the Signal Oil Company, marketers of signal gasoline and motor oil and fine quality automotive accessories. Signal has asked me to remind you to get the most driving pleasure, drive at sensible speeds, be courteous, and obey traffic regulations. It may save a life, possibly your own. Featured in tonight's story were Frank Lovejoy and Stanley Waxman. The Whistler was produced by George W. Allen with story by Gene Fromhurst, music by Wilbur Hatch, and was transmitted to our troops overseas by the Armed Forces Radio Service. This is Marvin Miller speaking. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. That's The Whistler with Dark Future, starring Frank Lovejoy from August 6, 1947. Also in the cast, Stan Waxman, with Marvin Miller announcing for Signal Oil, as heard over CBS. Stick around, I'll give you our lineup for episode 85 of the Classic Radio Theater after this short break. Next time on episode 85 of the Classic Radio Theater brought to you by the Bradford Exchange, we'll hear two comedy episodes of the Jack Benny program, so don't miss it. To reach me and to learn more about the Classic Radio Club, visit ClassicRadioClub.com. Be sure to tune in to our next show. Thanks for listening. <laughs>